Welcome to the Juggling Without Balls podcast. My name is Monica Parkin and I am your host. And every week on the show, I'm going to be talking to powerful, successful women who juggle it all. And when I say juggle it all, I mean everything. Kids, health, aged parents, careers, relationships, you name it, we're going to talk about it. So stick around, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a seat and enjoy the show. Hello, jugglers, and welcome to another episode. My guest today is Susan Thomas. I met Susan a few weeks ago, and I was so excited about what she had to say. I just wanted to get her on the show. She is Vice President of Eastern Canada for Invis Mortgage Intelligence. She's passionate about health, fitness, and the Canadian mortgage industry, and she's also a level one CrossFit trainer who's overcome some real health obstacles in her life. I'm excited to welcome her onto the show to hear about some of the things she's going to share with us, talk about her journey and how she juggles it all. So uh, we heard a little bit about you in your introduction, Susan. Welcome to the show. I'm wondering if you could give us just a little bit of background about your career path. And you are currently uh, Vice President of Invis Mortgage Intelligence for Eastern Canada How did you land into that role and what was the path you took to get here? First of all, thank you so much, Monica, for bringing me on for this. It's it's exciting and I really, I I was quite honored that you asked me to join you today. My career actually started in 1986, uh, back when I was a part-time teller for Royal Trust and I finished high school early and worked full-time to save money for university. So I put myself through university working at a bank uh, and then just progressed after I graduated. I had a degree in something completely different, but ended up back in banking by default, which a lot of people I think do end up there, was involved with, became a branch manager. And then I became an investment specialist with CIBC Financial Planning, Inc. And I was always on the other side of the balance sheet. And I know part of my story, you're going to ask me about some of my health concerns. I did have a a health issue that took me out of, of work for a while. And when I came back, a friend, friend of mine was a VP uh, with TD Bank. And she said, well, I should try to be a mortgage specialist. And I really liked it. And then I migrated into a business development role on the mortgage brokerage side. And then about six years ago, my top client asked me to come run their firm with them. And then I migrated into Invis Mortgage Intelligence about three years ago. So it's been a whirlwind journey and it's been a long sort of progression of different things, but I'm grateful for the opportunities and just the experience that I've had. Yeah. And it sounds like an organic kind of a a progression too, right? Like it's not like you plotted it out and said, this is where I want to be in so many years. It just, each of these doors opened another door and opened another door and you just keep walking through them and here you are. Yeah, wonderful. So your job, I suspect, involves a lot of moving priorities and also that business development piece, that building relationships with a lot of people across a lot of areas of the industry. We say juggling, moving pieces, orchestra, whatever term you want to use, but there's a lot of stuff going on in a day. So do you have a strategy? Do you have a way that you set up your day? Are you one of those people that time block or what's your get through that list? I'm a big believer in time blocking and, and proactive time and, and planning. You need to take that time. I think it's funny. I always say to my brokers, I can tell you exactly what my brokers make earn in a year based on their calendar. Because the more that they're ruthless with their time, the more successful they will be. 
And if I expect that of my brokers, I expect that of myself. I'm very ruthless with my time. So I'm probably a little bit too regimented sometimes, but uh, I certainly have, if I have, let's say you and I are speaking today and I need to follow up two weeks from now, it has to go into my calendar or I'm probably not going to remember two weeks from now. So I use a a couple of different things. I'm a a big believer in Trello boards. Uh, It's like a digital whiteboard almost that can move my workflow along. I'm using it right now to, to really test it out for my team because I think it will give them an advantage. But yes, I am ruthless with my time. I like to make sure that my week is planned out. Usually I like to do it in a few weeks ahead so that when the time comes, I'm not guessing what I have to do in a day. I'm not guessing who I have to contact. It's already pre-populated into my calendar. So you know what your day is going to look like. So on the flip side of that though, what happens when like something sideways comes in? Like Monica calls and says, hey, by the way, can we do this podcast today? Because my schedule has changed. Is it fluid enough that you can move stuff around or do you have fluidity built into it? Like I know I work with a lot of um, doctors and veterinarians and they have what they call it min blocks built into their date where they don't have anything planned, but they can throw something in there at the last minute. And if they're not doing something, then they use that to catch up on other stuff. What's your strategy around those last minute things? Typically, I try to keep a few empty blocks. Typically, I try to keep blocks on certain days. I'm trying to get down to a Zoom-free day because it's just been for a while there. It's just nonstop. And I know we were all, the mortgage industry, obviously, it's just been going at this incredible frenetic pace for so long. But yes, I do try to make sure I have admin time. So if I'm booking meetings, or even if it's a if it's an hour meeting, it's 45 minutes. So then I have that extra 15 minute buffer to return calls. I am not a slave. I have a very unique uh, system for my email inbox. I'm not a slave to my email box so that I'm checking that sort of at the top of the hour as well. So it's all programmed and scheduled into my... And then do you divvy up the time between like the relationship building and the reaching out to those brokers and coaching and mentoring, which I imagine is also part of your job? And then all the other sort of nuts and bolts of things that have to get done. Do you have a percentage that you do every day or do you block maybe Monday's business development, Tuesday is the other stuff? Well, you often have to work around other people's schedules as well. So I find usually my day is a hybrid. So I always tell my team, there's, we have three vital functions. We retain our good brokers. We help them grow their business and we grow like-minded talent. So you yeah. have to be toggling, retain, grow, recruit, retain, grow, recruit. Yeah. And I don't mean to just go recruit anybody coming in. They have to fit our elite club. We're not the largest brokerage firm and that's by design. We just want like-minded individuals. So it's it toggles uh, between that. But yes, on any given day, I have done all three of those already today and it's halfway through my day. Yeah. And it's that quality over quantity too. And, and that just makes you more efficient right off the bat when you're already filtering what's coming in. That, my, my philosophy is always ruthless with your time. Be ruthless with your time. We we are not on this earth forever. I want to experience as much of it as I can. I want to really enjoy my job and be passionate about it and, and work with passionate people and, and have fun. But yeah. I do not. I do not live to work the other way around. You really have to to be focused and engaged. But if you've got your vital functions down, if you know what you need to accomplish in a day, you can. And I have tips and tricks to if I get sidetracked on some of it, how to get back on track. But yes, you have to be ruthless with it. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And then just going back to that business development piece, that building relationships. What's your number one way that you? 
build those relationships with people in your organization? I think the number one key, I'm not going to tell you anything that is, you know, rocket science here. It's your ability to listen. Yeah. And I consider that the, the better you are at listening and the better you are at asking probing questions about that relationship, whatever you're, you're trying to develop and build, the more the more you can provide solutions. So often when I meet people, I just, my first question is, tell me about you. Tell me about your business. What, what are you passionate about? What do you do? And let them fill in the blanks. And then we can see if there's a fit from a business development standpoint. I love, I love that. And that's so true. Just being still. And in fact, I do this little thing every night where I just make a little list. I've got my gratitude list, but I also like, like what could I have done better today? And one of the things I wrote down this week was listen more, talk less. You know, like, <laughs> this week I actually needed to just shut up and listen more because if you just be still and just really hear what people have to say, A, they feel heard and they feel like you're, you actually care about them. And B, there's some really great stuff when you shut up and listen, like just listen. And that's just some the best advice that anyone could give, especially when, you know, these new brokers or new business people are going out in the world and how do I network? What do I do when I go to a meeting? It's just listen, ask good questions and listen because that's where the magic happens, right? And reiterate, because sometimes you're listening and you're not hearing what the person's actually saying to you. So let me understand, did you say this and actually repeat back just to make sure you really comprehend what they're saying? Yeah. And then those deeper questions, right? Oh, you're passionate about this. Why are you passionate about that? What is it that makes you want to do this? Or why did you do this pivot? What was your thought process behind it? Because maybe that's something you can apply to your own business too, or it helps you learn something about those people that you didn't know. Yeah. And for new brokers and agents, it's that I always call it needs-based selling. You have to listen to find out what the pain point is for that person to be able to sell to them. Because you're not selling, I I hate the term sale or sales, but really what you're trying to do is provide solutions. So if you're listening, you're hearing those pain points, you're able to provide a solution. A hundred percent. And I remember that early in my career too, not really listening well and going, oh, this is what you want to do to do, getting it all set up. And then they end up going somewhere else. And when you ask why, it's because what they actually wanted to do was something completely different. And had you heard the problem, that pain point that they were trying to do, and you'd addressed it with a solution, they never would have had to go somewhere else. But all you heard is, oh, they want to refinance. Let's go do it. What you didn't hear is that maybe their marriage is breaking up, or maybe this is going on, or maybe they just want to go back to school and they want some extra money. Whatever that, like you say, that pain point, that obstacle is, if you can address it, then you can find a solution. If all you hear is go do this and you go run on that goose chase towards it, then you're missing all these other opportunities over here and you're missing the chance to serve your client, which is what you're really there for. And that applies to every business. That's not a that's not a mortgage industry secret. That applies to you car use car sales and investments and everything across the board. Absolutely. I always use the ear to mouth ratio. I have two ears, one mouth. I should probably think of that ratio when I'm dealing with people and listen twice as much as I talk. But I, the other thing, I have a funny trick for you. And if it, now that we're getting back to hopefully some face-to-face interviews and meetings, that if you really, even if you aren't paying attention, here's my favorite little hack. When you're talking to somebody at a cocktail party, you're trying to get to know them, try to memorize the color of their eyes. Interesting. Yeah. You have to be looking at them intently to, to figure out their eye color. You are paying attention to them when you do that. Yeah. And the connection when you do that is 
unbelievable. That's great advice. I'm going to try that. Yeah, for sure. And it's hard for your mind to wander when you've got that focus and that ear to mouth ratio, man. I've, I want to steal that one. I've never heard that before, <laughs> but it's awesome. I love it. It makes total sense. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. That yeah. is gold. That's fabulous. So we started to talk about this a little bit. Your position is one where work can lead into personal time and vice versa. Do you keep them strictly separate? Are you done at a certain time and that's your personal time? Or how do you deal with those those calls that trickle into the weekend? Or do you have a strategy for that or boundaries around that? I think you have to set boundaries. And it's funny because I worked with a very successful mortgage broker and she had an assistant that she ended up letting go. And when the other assistant came in, this woman, she was working like night appointments and all that. Like she was just scheduled all over the place. And then this new assistant came in and she finally went to her and said, what's going on? I don't have a single night appointment. She goes, well, you don't need to. She said, yeah, people can set appointments to get their the oil changed in their car during the day. If they can't set 30 minutes aside to talk to their mortgage broker about their biggest purchase of their life, then maybe, but she, she would just, she structure it. And people said, no, you know, absolutely not. I can't meet you any other time than 7 p.m. or whatever, then they would do that. But most times she would offer an alternative time and people would would actually meet that time. So you have to set those parameters. So for me, before the pandemic, I commuted to Toronto. I live about two hours north of there. So I'm looking at any day, usually five plus, maybe six hours of commuting. That's almost a full workday in the car. So I can make a lot of phone calls in that time frame. I loved being in the pandemic initially because, wow, I can wear fuzzy slippers to work and I don't have to leave. I got this extra six hours. Now I'm like, oh, I just want to burn the fuzzy slippers. But I do find I'm ruthless with my time. So my morning routine never wavers. And I get up, I drink water, I meditate, I journal, I read nonfiction, I read something for growth. I work out, I train. And then my day starts after that. But I get up at four in the morning. It's something I've done for years. It's just who I am. It's not for everybody, but that's just... And even in the pandemic, I still get up at four in the morning. That's what I do because I need to start my day that way. My morning never varies. I need that time to prepare myself for the day. That's mine and, and nobody gets that, not even my spouse. As far as the workday, yes, I'm, I'm even though at home office, I'm, it's distinct and separate. And when I'm working, I have office hours that I am dedicating to work. At the end of the day, I like to take at least two hours where I'm phone free, where I can go out for a walk, be in nature, be with my spouse, have dinner, and then I can return a few calls at night if I need to. But I pretty much try to structure my day so that but those couple of hours, my, my family needs me. So yeah. I need to be able to be available. I used to answer calls all through dinner and the look of disappointment on my husband's face. Yeah, that's that will not happen anymore. I need that time. And then on weekends, I will work. A lot of times I prefer to sometimes work on weekends because my phone isn't ringing and I can get some paperwork done or some reports done or something like that. I'm, I'm very careful on who I reply to on weekends because some people if I get a, a broker that never asks me for much and they're, they're contacting me on the weekend, chances are they need me for something. Happy to reply. But there's other people too that you just know if you answer on a Saturday, they're going to call you every single Saturday going on or they might call you at 11 o'clock at night. I, I was listening to a YouTube video recently and it was talking about triaging your time. And because yeah. we, are, we are not heart surgeons. So do you triage the stuff that comes in? Is it urgent? Is it 
has to be dealt with immediately? Or is this something that can wait till a Monday morning? Or is this something that you can delegate? And that's really, I think, when you come into that personal time and separation is you have to figure out, first of all, what's important in your life, and then you have to schedule around it. And if something comes in and you're triaging saying, no, that's a red and I need to deal with this right away, fine. But not everything can be an emergency. Yeah. And And I I do think, yeah, and that's setting the expectation from the beginning, because I agree, you're totally right. There's people that the minute you give them a weekend or an evening response, their expectation is this is totally okay all the time. And there's other people that that's just going to be the one off. And my thing lately is just to say, got your email, I'll reply on Monday. And they know they've received it and you're going to respond on Monday, but there's no obligation for me to get into it. And there's definitely clients that I know if I gave them a legit answer on a Saturday, it's going to be another question, another question. And then at least they they feel heard and you've already set this boundary of expectation. And, And if you set it really early in the game, it's easy. If you let it go on for a few weeks and then all of a sudden you say, oh, by the way, I don't want to talk to you on weekends anymore or whatever, then then they feel really let down because you've it's, you've led them along on this little married journey where they can call you anytime. And then all of a sudden said, you know what, now you're being really annoying and they feel hurt and they feel like maybe they did cross the boundary. Whereas if you just draw that line in the sand in the very beginning, really gently and kindly and with respect, then, then it's easy to just keep it going. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like that neighbor's yard that you walk through every morning on your way to school and you did it for, you know, five years. Then all of a sudden one day there's a big fence, like you're offended. But if that fence was there in the first place, you never, it never would have occurred to you. So you're just putting up a nice fence in the beginning. So exactly. Yep. Yeah. Just setting those parameters. I agree completely. Yeah. As always engage in your vital few functions. The other stuff, let it go. Yeah. If you want to be, if you really want to, so that having that strict sort of personal time or whatever, that's your vital function. If your job today is as a mortgage broker agent, you need to find five new clients, then you're going to engage in that and you're going to set your schedule around that. But you also have to make sure that the other parts of your life that are vital, whether it's taking your child to a sports practice or you have to put that in there. It's got to be part of, it's got to be that fence you're building. That yeah. is that you're talking about. That's yeah. so important. Yeah, 100%. And and we don't really thrive at work unless we're thriving in our personal life. So that the two, there's got to be, there's got to be space for that. So next question I ask a lot of guests, but a lot of high level people that are successful, that have a lot going on, they have some things that they delegate to someone else that they're willing to let go and say, you know what, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to let, whether that's an assistant or, or yard worker, whatever, childcare, whatever. But do you have an example of something that you delegate, whether it's in work or personal life or something that you're just willing to let go of, which sometimes that's the hardest part if some of us are a little bit micromanagers, but sometimes the hardest part is letting it go. But do you have one of those items that you've handed off? I I have a better example. Let's say as a mortgage broker, you make $150,000 a year and you work 50 50 weeks a year, 37 and a half hours a week. You're making about $80 an hour. It's a Mm -hmm. lot of money. Mm-hmm. So are you paying an assistant? Are you paying an admin staff an $80 an hour salary? Probably not. So everything I do, whether it's laundry. So for, for example, if I was ironing my, my clothes, again, before the pandemic, when you actually have to iron. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my house cleaner a year ago from the pandemic. <laughs> your house cleaner. Do you pay your house cleaner $80 an hour? Maybe you do. I, these are the kind of things that I always, if you're, you pick a number that you either are earning or aspire to earn, and you base everything off of that number. So my ironing 
Is it worth $80 an hour? Absolutely not. So I'm going to take that out to a dry cleaner and pay $16 or whatever to have that. So these are the kind of things I think you have to think of. And but there's two things you can, I think you should delegate as much as possible, but there's two things you should never, ever delegate. Sales oh, and marketing, I want to at least <laughs> sales and marketing, at least the oversight of it. That's your message. So as a mortgage broker and agent, you have to be the one to have the message. So the marketing, sales, no, that doesn't, you can have people working for you, but you must oversee it. Because that's your authentic you. That's you. what that yeah. is you and your checkbook. You never, ever delegate. You need to know what's going on with the finances of the business. You don't have to necessarily, you can have an accountant, you can have a bookkeeper, but you need to be aware of where the money is being spent and you need to have a voice in that and oversight on that as well. So those are my two vital functions that I will not give up. But everything else, absolutely, you can delegate. Awesome. I like that. Yeah. And I do, I years ago, I remember on Oprah Winfrey saying, best advice I ever got is always sign your own checks. You can hand everything else over, but always Great. sign your own checks. You've got to know what's going on there. And that kind of echoes that advice too, right? Absolutely. So, yes. So, yeah. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Speaking of personal time and self-care, you are a CrossFit instructor. So A, where do you squeeze in the time to do that? If that part of your morning routine and B, how did that come about? Absolutely. I'm, I've always been a health conscious. I was always a jock in school of sports, but I started CrossFit back when people didn't even know what CrossFit was. And, and if you don't, if you've never heard of it, go on YouTube and, and just put in the word CrossFit and you will find it. Most people are aware it's a type of exercise. We also compete uh, in it as well. So I started about 2009 and the natural progression, probably about four, four years ago or so, four or five years ago, a friend of mine doing her level one instructor course and asked if I wanted to join her. And so I completed it and started to, to coach it. It was a natural progression because I, I just, I love to watch people learn new things. I want, love to watch them grow often, but especially women when they come into the gym, I just want to pull up. I just want, well, Hey, that's fine. How do we get you there? And we watch people come out of their comfort zone and really grow, not just physically, but mentally. Uh, It's just phenomenal. I have competed before. My best performance was probably 2013. And I placed 11th in Canada East and 218th in the world. Wow. And only the top 200 go on though. So I was close and I didn't go on. So close. Yes. But I do have actually CrossFit Games, which is literally the, the competition for the fittest on earth is about to happen in Madison, Wisconsin. And I have quite a few friends that have qualified to go uh, to the game. So it's like our version of the Olympics. So it's okay. But yeah, it's just a, it's a lifestyle for me. So the coaching was a natural, I think just to, just, I want to see people succeed and it's a passion. Yeah. And when you are passionate about something, you want to share that with others. And I love things like that. It's totally not CrossFit, but like Toastmasters, I love it when people come in at the beginning, they barely, maybe English isn't their first language, or they're just struggling to even just stand up and say their name. And then a year later, they're just delivering these amazing presentations. And I'm like, I'm actually more excited about their growth than I am my own. It's just such an amazing feeling to watch someone grow. And I'm sure it must be like that for you, for someone that walks into a gym and doesn't even know what piece of equipment to pick up, has no confidence in themselves. And then they're just out there crushing it at a competition a few years later. What like what a privilege just to be a part of that kind of growth. Absolutely. It is. It's inspiring and athletes inspire. It's funny because it's not necessarily a fittest athlete in the gym that will inspire you. 
it's like nobody cares what your score is, what you lift or anything like that, as long as you try your hardest. And I, I work out with people that have lost literally a hundred pounds yeah. and they are much more inspiring to me than, than I will ever be in the gym. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so when do you squeeze that into your day? Is that part of your getting up at 4 a.m. and going to CrossFit or do you do that in the evenings or where do you fit that sucker in? <laughs> Normally, again, it's part of my morning routine and that's why I do get up at 4. So again, so ruthless with my time. My my coffee is set at 3.45 a.m. So yeah. when I get out of bed, I can stumble right to the coffee machine if I choose. Yeah. But I is usually very first thing in the morning. I have the best of intentions to say, oh yeah, I can go back after work and maybe have another workout. I never seem to have the time at the end of the day. It's an important part of my day. So it's first and foremost. So I get that in. I'm usually, if I'm coaching six, seven o'clock in the morning, I'm working out before then. So wow. I'll work out and then coach and then get on with my day by eight o'clock. I'll be ready to get going off. Yeah. To- Get ready for yeah. Work. And that's so true about leaving stuff for the end of the day. Like it's not CrossFit for sure. I'm not getting up at 4am to do CrossFit, but I do write in the morning. And sometimes I'll say, cause I got to get through this chapter or whatever. I got to edit this chapter today. And if I do it in the morning, it's done. If I say I'll do it later, it never happens. I guarantee you if I wait till seven or eight o'clock at night, it's no, I'm not doing it now. That old analogy of the rocks in the jar. And you've heard that before with the university professor and he gets up in front of the class with a lectern full of rocks. And I literally have a jar of rocks in my office that I keep. And I ask the class, something on time management. This is all a lesson on time management. Is the jar full? Of course, the staff or class says, yeah, yeah, it's full. The rocks are right to the top. Then he takes pebbles and pours them in through the rocks and asks again. And they say, yes. And then he takes sand. And then he takes water and he says, okay, is the jar full? At this point, nobody wants to answer him. And he says, yes, it is. What is the moral of the story? Now, remember, this is about time management. So what do you think most students would say? Interesting. I don't think I've actually heard this one before, but I guess the moral... What would your reaction be to that? What is the moral of the story with the rocks in the jar? Do the big stuff first, fit the big stuff in first, or you're not going to have room for the little stuff. Exactly. You're the first person I think that's ever got that right off the bat. Most people say, no matter what you fit in your day, you can always fit in more. To which the professor replied, no, if I'd started with the water first, the rocks never would have got in the jar. Yeah. So if you're editing your book is your rock, you have to put that in the jar first. If training is important to me and my physical health and makes me perform better at work, that has to be in the jar first. The other stuff will find a way. So for mortgage brokers, proactive calls, again, the biggest difference between somebody who is making a million dollars a year and somebody barely getting a deal done every couple of months, you're pretty much doing the same thing. It's the consistency of the effort. That person making a million dollars a year, I guarantee is time blocked for proactive calls, whether they're calling centers of influence, whether they're calling their database, but they are proactively doing that every day. That is the rock and it goes in the jar first and everything else will fit around there. Interesting you say that because, and some of our viewers may not know what this is, a business development officer, but a business development, because this show isn't specifically about mortgages, but we happen to have a lot of mortgage content because I'm a mortgage broker. But I was talking to a business development officer once about the way they paid their like their business development officers. This was the main manager and how they paid them. And he actually gave them, like their bonus structure was based on completing certain tasks every day. So part of the criteria was you need to call five people, you need to do this many emails, you need to 
check in with this many people from your database. And as long as you actually do all those tasks every day, you'll get an extra this amount on your salary every year. Because he said, guaranteed, if you do those things consistently every day, whether you want to or not, whether you think it matters or not, it will automatically increase your volume. So we're just going to, if you do it and you check off those boxes, we're going to pay you for it. And I thought that was an interesting way to, it wasn't just you're going to get extra commission if you do extra volume. He's, I guarantee the volume will come in if you do these things. So we're going to tie those activities to your salary. And I didn't get to talk to him a year later to find out how that worked. But when you mentioned that today, I thought it was interesting because you're basically forcing people to do the rocks first, right? And you're getting paid for doing the rocks first. If you do the activities, the results will take care of themselves. Yeah. But you have to do the activities day in, day out. It's like an athlete. Do they want to grind it out? Do you think I really want to be doing sprints at five o'clock in the morning in the dark and the cold? No, but it's those things that you're willing to do for the results, but you have to do them consistently. Yeah. And the cumulative effect of that, like you might not see it on day one, day two, day three, but all of a sudden when you've done it every single day for a year, you look back and you've got this completely different body. Or if you're in a a business, you've got now a completely different set of clients or a business model or completely different volume. If you've done those things day in and day out, you might not see it in week one or week two or week three. But when you look back, you go, holy smokes, look at the way the dial moved. I, I wanna, I've got a list of, I'm a, I have a voracious appetite for reading. And I have a, a list of favorite books. And one of them is something called, the title is Great at Work by Morgan T. Hansen. And he has a line in the book where he says, do less and obsess. So he studied very much like Jim Collins in Good to Great. He studied, well, Jim Collins studied companies This professor studied individuals and they came from all walks of life and all different professions, but they were the top in their profession. And he wanted to know if there was similar characteristics. And the one thing he found was that they were, as I said, ruthless with their time, but they they do less and they obsess about it. If this is your goal, if this is what you are inherently trying to accomplish, they focused on that and that only. And that's, those are the rocks, right? The rest of it, the rest will get done. If you've got admin stuff that needs to get somewhere, that will get done because it'll nag you until it's done. But the proactive stuff, if you decide to do the admin stuff first and say, I'll get to that proactive piece, you won't. You just won't. It just won't. So it's that priority piece. Yeah, that's awesome. And I don't know how I never heard about the rocks in the jar, but that's just going to stick in my brain now. That's part of my toolkit now. That's awesome. I do have a jar of rocks in my office and I specifically have it there to remind me to do the big things. First. Yeah, I love it. It's like the eat the frog first thing, but it's actually, yeah. for me, it's a better visual. And I just love visuals. Like everything, <laughs> if I can create an analogy or a metaphor around something, I'm all over that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Moving on from CrossFit and maybe tied together, but you've had, we, you mentioned earlier in the episode, but you've had some health issues to overcome in your life. And it and clearly you've been very successful at that because you're successful in your career. You're getting up, you're doing CrossFit every morning, you're fit, you're healthy. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It's funny because I was, we were doing some core work at the gym today and I looked at my friend beside me and said, I had 12 surgeries in my life and nine of them were on my abdomen and I've actually had part of my perineum removed, which is your core. So I'm really happy I can do these core exercises. I first um, got sick when I was about 11 years old and I was in the hospital for the better part of off and on for about a year and they called it a blood disorder. They thought it was leukemia at the time. And I just remember being, I still remember the pain of how I felt so sick. 
and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, bone marrow tests and this and that. And all of a sudden, I had was going in for another bone marrow test, and they did a white blood cell count ahead of time, and I was almost within the normal range. And then I rebounded and perked back up with no intervention. The doctors had no idea what was going on. Fast forward till I was in my early 20s, and I started to get these weird lumps on my legs something called urethema nodosum. So think of be below your knee is the size of golf balls, these great big painful welts that just showed up and no idea what was causing them. And I had a, something called an ANA test at the time, an anti-nuclear antibody that came out positive. And the doctors just said, oh, you get false positives all the time. And then just when I was turning 30, I was, I got a viral infection, very different than what we think of a viral infection now, but I got sick. I lost my voice. Husband thought it was great because I couldn't talk for a week. <laughs> But I got sick and I lost losing weight. And I typical, I hate to say a typical reaction of a doctor with a female, oh, you're just depressed. Let's give you some antidepressants. And I was vibrant. I was healthy and I'm, I'm like losing weight and I'm in a ton of pain, a terrible back pain. And so finally I went into the hospital and they did exploratory surgery. I had fluid all around my kidneys. So they drained the fluid. I just started a new job. So I literally left the hospital in a wheelchair and went straight to the training in a wheelchair oh. only to end up right back in the hospital again. And I had another surgery and then I had another surgery after that. So it was about six months in the hospital. And back then in Ontario, we were having a healthcare crisis. So when they sent me home, they still didn't know what was wrong with me. And I'm five foot 10, so I'm a tall woman. And I'm usually around 140, 145 pounds healthy, but I don't look big. I was down to about a hundred pounds and, wow. and the pain was so excruciating. I just wanted to die. And I, it was so bad that I have to call my husband at work and say, I need to go to the washroom and he'd have to come home and lift me out of bed and put me on the toilet and then put me like, bless his heart and put me back to bed and then go back to work. Thankfully he worked locally. And this went on for another six months or so. And then I finally got into a rheumatologist that said, I think you have lupus. And I had seen every doctor. Some told me that get your affairs in order. It's, it looks like this is, you're not going to make it through this. I had some other jerk tell me to go get acupuncture. Nobody could figure out what was wrong. And the doctor did test, confirmed that it wasn't practically, but put me on a regimen of education. And within six months, I started to feel better. But at that point I was taking fentanyl and we all know what fentanyl is. is. I was taking fentanyl, I was taking long-term and short-term morphine. I met one doctor who says, I don't even know how we're having this conversation. You take enough narcotic medication to tranquilize a horse. You shouldn't be talking to me. And I just stopped it one day. I, I was like, this is it. I, I want to be on a volleyball court in September. I can't live like this anymore. It was May. And I just ripped off the duragesic, which is the, the fentanyl patches. And I went cold turkey, which apparently you're not supposed to do. And I just said, I am going to, I willed myself to get better. I'm like, this is it. This is not the way I want to live. And I forced myself to, to get, but the medication was starting to kick in. So just to be clear, you stopped the pain medication. You didn't stop the, and I assume that's something to suppress your immune system. Is that? Absolutely. I was actually the great chemotherapy drugs. They put me on something called methotrexate initially. I made you really sick, but it just, yeah, it suppressed you because your immune system with the type of lupus I have, it's like, it thinks foreign bodies are, are foreign. They are parts of your body are foreign. So my kidneys, for example, it's that's not supposed to be there. Let's attack it. So it's actually the opposite of, so when you get sick, your immune system triggers, it goes and attacks whatever the thing is. So it's actually thinking your own organs, your own stuff. 
is attacking you and it's amounting this huge immune response, which then gives you this giant inflammation response, creates fluid, blah, blah, blah. And now you're in all this agony and your own body is like sending its own armies out to get itself. It's whatever they call it, friendly fire almost. Yep. And that exactly. And that's an excellent analogy. And when I was 11, it was attacking my blood because it can attack your blood. It can attack your organs. It can attack, but there's another side to that, which is the rheumatoid arthritis side. So I get symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis in almost every single joint in my body. And there's a lot of joints in your body. So the pain from that was excruciating as well. Yeah, it was, you know what? I had a lot of with excellent medical support, excellent family support. And I did, I got, I got through this. One thing I did learn is, and I don't know, are you familiar with the Stockdale paradox? I'm not, I'm learning all kinds of good new tidbits today. This is fantastic. So Jim Collins interviewed in his book, Good to Great, Jim Stockdale, James Stockdale, and he was the highest commanding officer in the Hanoi Hilton. So he was in a prisoner of war camp and he was in there for eight years and was routinely tortured and survived it. And he, when he interviewed him, he said, how did you survive? And and he said, you have to have that unwavering faith that you will persevere in the end. He said, who didn't survive? To which Jim uh, Stockdale replied, the optimist. (laughs) Jim calls it the optimist. He said, yes. He said, they would say, we'll be out by September. And September would come and go and they would miss that deadline. Or we'd be out by Christmas and Christmas would come and go and they would die of a broken heart. So he said, it's not just a matter of having the unwavering faith that you'll prevail in the end. You have to confront the reality of what you have. If you're trying to get through everything we've been through with COVID, realize where you are. Face the the truth of where you are today, whether it's your business and it's just been hard to run from a home office, whether it's you haven't been able to be out in the gym and you've lost a bit of your health. Where are you today? But never have, never lose faith that you will persevere in the end. Yeah. Stockdale paradox. Now, what I did wrong was I demanded my ball. I was like, I'm going to be on the volleyball court in September. Thankfully, I was because now I question what if I missed that deadline that I had set for myself? Would I have been one of those optimists that, that didn't make it? It's interesting. So, if you are looking to change your life, if you are looking to really tackle something, make sure that you you adjust your reality to like look not adjust your reality note your reality where you are right now never lose sight of that but never lose faith of what you're going to try to accomplish yeah and so through this journey obviously you went through a bunch of doctors they didn't know what was going on you were able to advocate for yourself and keep going back and keep asking questions or did you ever have a time where you started to lose that faith where you went as just i'm not going to figure this out or did you just i'm what was that like that thought process evolve over time or did it flow up and down or did you always have that faith that yeah there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel here no I honestly when you get into that much pain I just remember saying to my husband if this is my reality for the rest of my life I don't want to live like this like I don't want to continue to live and I think I really scared him at that time and I'm glad I got past that but I you definitely I, I think everybody questions themselves I question myself every day it's just, that's, yeah. I think, human nature. But yeah, it was tough on certain days. Yeah. But when I did start to get better, I certainly, I dialed in. And that's, again, my journey into to CrossFit. I dialed in my diet. I dialed in my exercise. When I say diet, I don't diet. I, I eat. I train. I don't diet. I don't exercise. But whole foods, um, just really mindful of, of what I was putting in my body and making sure it was fueling me properly. And that, to me 
is a, a huge factor in my success back to, to being healthy. Yeah. And you're treating your body with kindness, right? And I've done that mind shift this year too. I used to always be thinking of this diet mindset. And now when I eat something, I think, is this kind? Like, would my body want me to eat this today rather than how many calories is in this? It's just, is this kind, right? Is this a kind thing for me to do to my body today? And I now it's not, I don't go for a walk because I need to burn some calories. It's like, would I feel better if I went for a walk today? And it just changes the way it doesn't feel like a punishment then. It feels like this kindness that you're gifting upon yourself. I'm kind to myself, but I'm trying to be. Yeah. And so we just, you answered this question, right? So if you met someone that had been diagnosed with an immune-related illness or they're struggling for a diagnosis, what would your advice be to them or their loved ones? And I think you covered that, right? Advocate for yourself. Do not give up your body. If something is wrong, and that's what I would say is don't give up. But don't, I ended up in a a support group when I found out what I had. It's terrible to say, and maybe I shouldn't say this in a podcast, but they just, I got in this meeting and they were all complaining about their aches and the pains and what they couldn't do in life. And, oh, and for us, it was a pity party. Yeah. And I said, well, what do you, like, I thought this was a support group. I thought we were supporting ourselves through this. And are we sharing healthy recipes? Are we sharing coping mechanisms? And I literally went to one meeting and never went back. So yeah. the other thing I would say is if you are diagnosed or you are going through something health related, make sure you have a positive environment. Yeah. And be kind to yourself. Talk positively. And you are the sum of the people that you spend the most time with, right? So if you're spending time with people that are always down and negative, you're going to start to feel down and negative. And that doesn't mean that you can't sit in what's going on and have some moments of sadness. If you're spending your time around people that are like, what is working? Even in the crappiest situations, there's always something like what is working in this right now? I always liken that to, I use the analogy of a, a traffic light. You're going to drive, at some point, if you're driving, you're going to hit a red traffic light. Are you late? Are you rushing somewhere? Are you saying, oh my gosh, every time I could go in my car, the traffic light is always, or is it a Saturday morning and you're singing to the radio and you're just you know, waiting for the light to change? The constant is the light. What you control is your reaction to it. Yeah. And that's with any situation in life. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So last question that I ask a lot of guests, unless I run out of time, but it's the old time travel question. If you had to go back and give your 10-year-old self some advice, whether that's the 10-year-old that's in the hospital or not, I don't know. What would your advice be to that younger version of yourself, knowing what you know now? One of the best books I read in COVID, again, like I said, if anybody wants my reading list, happy to share, was Mindset by Carol Dweck. And I don't know if you've ever read it. But she talks a lot about growth mindset. And I think the advice I would give my 10-year-old self is treat life as an experiment because you can never fail when you're experimenting. You just pick up, dust off, and try another option. And I think I would adopt more of a growth mindset versus a fixed, which is all or nothing, very binary, black or white, yes or no, you failed, you passed. No, I would adopt more of a growth mindset. And I'm doing that as I get older. And, and it's, it's, it's really, it's amazing how different you approach things with a growth mindset to say, it's okay. It's okay. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm experimenting. Yeah. Awesome. That's fantastic. And uh, thank you so much for being here today. We're going to probably drop some links in the show notes, uh, where to find you. You have 
Any last little tidbits you want to add before we wrap up? Uh, I just thank you for this opportunity. I'm very honored that you uh, wanted me to be part of your journey and, and to be part of this podcast. Yeah, I'm so grateful you're here today and I'm glad it all worked out. Don't aren't aware we had some little hiccups in the middle, some air conditioning duct cleaning guys. So we did part one and part two and we're going to join them together. So I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. That's it for this week. To get more information on any of my guests or to book me as a speaker at your next event, please visit jugglingwithoutballs.ca. And you would totally make my day if you left me a review or you sent me an email at monica at jugglingwithoutballs.ca. And let me know what you got out of this week's episode. I'm hoping to read some of those reviews and some of those emails on future episodes. Have a great week, jugglers. Jugglers.